I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. There are times when employer branding is incredibly incredibly complex, incredibly complicated, trying to understand a myriad of of vectors and factors, a multitude of inputs and outputs, a a series of forces driving your brand one way or the other, most of which you have zero control over whatsoever, as we've talked about. Um, And it is a complicated thing. It absolutely is a hard job. It is hard to make changes to because it is very much like, it's not hurting cats, it's hurting jellyfish because each individual force, each each individual function or force is in itself complicated and messy and hard to manage and hard to deal with. And you, again, have no power over most of them. And yet somehow you're expected to manage or strengthen your employer brand. That's why it's a hard job. But I wonder if we overcomplicate things sometimes maybe to make ourselves feel better because it is a hard job and it's our way of seeing how hard a job that is. And that's valid some days. You know, some days you got a drink in your hand and you just want to say, ours is a hard job. And I agree with you. That's completely valid. Sometimes I think we get too focused on the trees and not in the forest. And sometimes you need to think about the forest and not the trees. And that's really what I want to talk about here. Now, I don't want to swing all the way over to super simplified. Uh, We did that in episode 100, I believe, when it was the Zen of employer brand, or Zen in the art of employer brand, where I talked about the idea that employer brand is simply a kind of shorthand to explain to someone what your company gives a crap about, if it gives a crap about anything at all, and and maybe if that candidate gives a crap about that thing too, maybe you can find some measure of satisfaction together, right? Some sort of harmony. But there's something in the middle, I think. And the more we think about these once-in-a-lifetime black swan kind of pandemic events hitting our employer brands, and let's be fair, um, not many people did employer branding in 2008, and certainly very, very, very few people did employer branding in 2001 on 9-11 when these kinds of massive shifts happened, right? So this is the first time our industry is really, for the most part, for the most part, there are people who did employer branding for a very, very long time in a different way, mostly in Europe, and there you go. But this is the first time we've really faced this kind of crisis, and how do you think your way through this crisis? And well, here's one way. We're going to focus on understanding the four drivers of your employer brand, of everybody's employer brand. And if you understand what those drivers are, maybe you can start to figure out where changes need to be made as the black swan events are hitting you. And let's be perfectly honest, I don't think we're anywhere near seeing the bottom of this, whether it's, well, honestly, any of it. I think we still have a lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of changes and a lot of things to grapple with, and we're still grappling with it. So we better understand our employer brand, our job, as we grapple with it. And that's what we're going to talk about when we get back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. 
Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here, recording live from Chicago. Uh, yeah, it's we're entering week six, but I got to remind myself to stop counting the weeks because it's only going to make us all crazy. I just got the word that the school year here in Chicago is canceled for the season. Um, and my wife and I are already talking about pretty much camps out. <laughs> We're really got our fingers crossed for for August and September that we can get this stuff straightened out. He says, hopefully, knowing exactly who is in charge these days and not having a lot of faith in that sort of process. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the truth is, this absolutely is a pandemic. It is a black swan event. It is a crisis that we've, as an industry, have never seen before, and I want to get into that. But first, hey, you know, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, there's lots of good material, lots of good. My job is to digest what's being talked about so that you can get in five minutes all the information you need so you don't have to spend two hours reading every article that passes by your desk, right? That's what I'm here for. So just go to employerbrand.news, sign up for the free newsletter. There's no pitching. It's not a chance for me to kind of sell you anything. It's really not about that. Uh, And it also gives you updates on what the podcast is going to be about. So there you go. Go sign up for that, please. Uh, and thanks to the 1,100 people who've already signed up. This It's amazing that, you know, in less than six months, this thing is really, really ramped up. So I'm super pumped for it. Uh, also, if, you know, I have a whole bunch of office hours I had this week. I had very interesting conversations with someone in Ecuador who's trying to solve a bigger challenge necessarily an employer brand or a different kind of challenge. I've talked to someone trying to get into employer brand. I talked to somebody about um, how do you sell employer brand it's internally. It's a lot of conversations. It's been a lot of fun. So if you want to get 15 minutes of my time just to ask me anything, and I mean anything, uh, just sign up. There's a link in the show notes and get get down to my office hours. Okay, so. Let's not get too far into the complicated, not complicated thing, but here are what I think the four drivers of every employer brand. And to be perfectly blunt, each one of these things can get broken down a lot of different ways, but we're trying to create some very clear buckets of what's making our employer brand change, what is driving everyone's perception of what our employer brand is or what it could be. Okay, so let's list them very quickly and then we'll go through them more deeply. And the list is very simple. Culture, leadership, policies, and options. Now, For those of you who like acronyms, if we swapped policies and options, that acronym could be CLOP. I don't care for that. So we're not going to do that. Enjoy. So culture, leadership, policies, and options. So let's break these down because some of them are obvious and I don't think some of them are. So the first one is culture. And let's be fair, we did a great job covering culture, I think. Uh, Last week, we had, you know, I posted it to LinkedIn and I got 120 some likes on it, which is the most I've had on this podcast in a long time. So it clearly resonated with people. And to sum up, for those of you who are not regular listeners, and I don't know why you're not, uh, culture is unfortunately often seen as perks. It's seen as, look at our culture. We have uh, cold brew. Look at our culture. We have ping pong table. Look at our culture. Uh, we like to go party after on Fridays. Look at our culture. We have beer kegerators. Look at our culture. We like to work hard and play hard. And that's all well and good, except it really doesn't matter because one, it's not culture. It's not. Those are perks. Those are absolutely perks. And you know that they're perks and not culture because the second everybody has to work from home, they all went away. But we still had a culture. So what is that culture and what's really driving that culture? We took a deep dive in that stuff last week. So feel free to go jump back to that episode. It's episode 170, The Culture Wars. And it's got that woman with two swans. And I don't know why I picked that image other than it just tickled me that that was interesting. So there you go. And there's a little insight to how meticulously I plan these episodes. Not. Anyway. So let's get into leadership. Now, the leadership's the interesting one, especially these days as the world has gone topsy-turvy, right? Um, uh, It used to be that leadership 
was something you never noticed much of, right? You had celebrity CEOs and they were five, maybe 10 CEOs of the obvious candidates, the Richard Bransons, the Elon Musks, uh, your Jeff Bezos, right? You've got, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. There weren't too many of them. You wheeled them out. Mark Cuban, if you will. Uh, is he technically a CEO? He owns a sports franchise and seven trillion other companies apparently. Uh, but he would be something close to a... Uh, celebrity CEO, right? For the most part, CEOs were doing their thing. Most CEOs were quietly wearing their ties and jet power suits and and whatever you know women CEOs are wearing these days. I don't know why I went to power suits and men because that's gender normative and that's not at all what I'm trying to say. But and then I realized immediately that power suits are very 80s and I'm watching. 80s game shows on the TV because it's just that kind of pandemic. And the shoulders, I had almost forgotten how huge they were. But anyway, I don't want to get into power suits too hard. But anyway, they CEOs doing what CEOs do, taking meetings, having conversations, making decisions, pointing at things, gesturing, um, you know, dictating memos, you know, occasionally writing emails, but probably not so many, letting other people write their emails for them. Uh, you know, doing CEO stuff. And for the most part, most CEOs are very, very quiet. They stick to their, their knitting, as it were. They focus on the stuff at tasks at hand. Their job is not to be famous. Their job is to promote and push the company forward. Now, you use what you have, and so consequently, if Elon Musk is a is a celebrity and he's a bit of a glory hound, which, hey, is a, is a skill, let's be fair, um, then you're going to use it. And good for him, I guess. That's that's the skill he's going to leverage. You use it if that's what you got. For some people, it's about analytics. For some people, it's about relationships. For some people, it's about decision-making. For some people, it's about strategy. Every CEO is a little different, and they all do their thing. But for when it comes to employer brand, very, very, very few companies connected their CEO to their employer brand. We had Elon Musk, obviously, uh, the guy from T-Mobile, G- uh, Jean- John Laguerre. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, well, he's gone now, so he's out of it. Um, I don't even know who's the CEO of Sprint T-Mobile, whatever that company is going to be called, how moving forward. Um, I bet I could probably pick the CEO of Comcast out of a lineup. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, you got Jeff and you got, you know, Tim Cook and you got the obvious candidate. You got the Zuck, right? Uh, Jack uh, Dorsey over at Twitter. But mostly you couldn't point them out. And most of them, you didn't connect them to your employer brands. And when you did, they were usually complicated, he says, talking about, you know, Uber specifically. But let's be fair. We could talk about Jack Dempsey, or Dorsey rather, sorry. Or we could talk about Zuckerberg. Or we could talk about Bezos, who's having a bit of a rough year right now, right? Um good, bad, and indifferent. And frankly, he's having a year where it's all happening. He's making money hand over fist and he's being raked over the coals at the same time, sometimes for the same reason, sometimes not. You don't normally connect leadership with CEOs. And then we all got terrified and we all went into hiding. And the airline industry collapsed and the entertainment industry collapsed. The hospitality industry went to hell. Uh, Certain sectors of every industry just went, um, since no one's going outside, I guess we're in trouble. Now, look at the CEOs from Airlines and from Marriott, which is probably the most famous one. You see, you're seeing a lot more CEOs come out front and center and saying, this is the direction of our company. This is what we're doing. This is how we are taking care of our people or how we are not taking care of our people, depending on the CEO. Everybody's got a difference. But suddenly, CEOs seem to be coming out of the woodwork like crazy. It 
also helps that our president seems to be somehow, and here in the States, CEO crazy. Like that guy wheels out CEOs left, right, and center for any particular reason. It's like his way of proving that he's talked to the best and brightest. Well, he's talked to CEOs who are good at things, but we're calling them the best and brightest. Maybe, maybe not. But there's a bit of a thing going on there. But we start wheeling all these CEOs out as proof that smart people are doing hard work. Right? The Marriott example is a great one. The guy has cancer. He's lost all his hair. He didn't look great in that video, but he knew he had to step forward and say, look, this is a problem and this is how we're going to approach that problem. But our number one priority is to protect and serve our, our employees first and protect and serve our customers. And this is how we're initially going to do it, but we don't know what the future is. And it was a fairly powerful message. You're seeing CEOs from companies saying, no, no, get back to work. And uh, we're a wrestling company, so therefore we're necessary and essential in certain states. And you're like, really? That's what's going on? There's the CEO trying to make that claim. CEOs are suddenly, in ways they have never been before, front and center parts of the employer brand. For a long time, we could all just kind of say, yeah, there's our CEO over there. And occasionally, you point to them and say, look, do some, you know, do your little soft, soft shoe and, and project a little authority here, or maybe mention a strategy, but really leave the employer branding to us. Suddenly, employer branders are front and center, and that is a radical change for most companies who did not have classic celebrity CEOs, right? If you're at Facebook, you're used to, face, to Zuckerberg being out front and center and being out in there and saying that he's only going to eat the stuff he kills and, hey, it's totally cool and we didn't totally steal all your data except we kind of might have did. And by the way, would you, don't mind, would you mind signing these terms of service and don't, don't worry about him? He's very front and center. For everybody else, not so much, Right? Um, could you name the CEO of Adidas or Adidas right now? Or Nike's always kind of funny. Um, major, it, uh, which of the Bobs are CEOs over at Disney these days? I mean, the CEOs are very much aware of what's going on, but up until recently, they simply weren't. So when you baked your employer brand, you would talk about leadership, but you could talk about them as backseat drivers to some extent. They were not just obvious drivers of the employer brand, whereas today they are. They're making videos, they're writing blogs, they're writing articles, they're promoting their brand and saying, this is what we're doing because in times of crisis, leadership needs to step forward. That's part of its job. That's part of its gig. I always think about CEOs as being very much the voice of the outside world to the company and the voice of the company to the outside world, except most CEOs, turns out, are a little camera shy and let other people do a lot of the speaking for them. It doesn't fly anymore. If you allow your CHRO, wonderful though he or she may be on camera, wonderful she, he or she may be uh, as a human being, they simply don't carry the weight as a CEO, right? Uh, Scott Galloway, uh, Professor Scott Galloway, sorry, he is a professor. He is in fact uh, over at NYU, super smart. He know, you know, he'll tell you, and I think I've seen this before, but the three major uh, crisis solutions are you identify and admit the problem, you overcompensate, and the highest person in charge, the highest authority takes charge. So when Tylenol happened, the CEO stepped up and said, yep, they didn't let a PR person do it. They didn't let their chief operations person do it. CEO steps up. I'm in charge. This is what's going to happen. They admitted the problem, and they overcompensated on the solution. That is the three-step PR process. If you don't let your CEO step forward and say, look, it's a crisis mode, so we're going to let the, the, the top dog drive some of this stuff, it looks like the top dog is hiding, and that impacts your employer brand. So leadership has always been a factor on some extent, but today it's a whole different ballgame. Leadership are driving a lot of stuff. Third driver, policies. Now, policies is unusual, and, and, and sometimes when I think about it, I this is the one I forget. Policies are 
they don't shape your employer brand so much as they limit what it can be. And I think we've touched on this a bit in the past. So for example, if you decide your employer brand is all about commitment to gender equality and you have crap when it comes to family leave, I ask you how much commitment to gender equality do you really have? If you say you care about women and you don't have a mother's room and you don't allow for, for family leave and you don't allow what classic mother's issues, women's issues are, so to speak, and I don't really personally don't think they're women's issues. I think they're family issues and human issues, but they are classically considered women issues, I guess. Um, but how do you say we care about our female uh, female employees if you have the legal minimum family leave, if you don't have uh, space for women to pump, if you don't have um, flexibility in your work environment so that when the kids get sick, there's a way to do it? You don't have to all have daycares on site, but frankly, if you have daycares on site, that says more about your commitment to family than any kind of claim or poster does. Right? So your policies have a great deal of impact when it comes to what it allows you to say. You can't just pick what you want to say. You have to pick what your company has policies around. For example, right? if your bonus, and bonus is a terrifying phrase. When I talk about bonuses, people usually get all freaked out, and they should, because I'm about to kind of step on some third rails here, and I do not care. When you talk about what your company cares about, you start by talking about what your company rewards. So what does your company reward? Now, if you look at your bonus structure, how much of your bonus structure is a function of how the company does versus how you did? If you're a salesperson, chances are your bonus is mostly, if not completely, focused on how you did. It is an individual achievement structured bonus. You can't say that you're com team committed or team driven or collaborative driven if everybody's bonus is individually driven. At the same time, in the other way, you can't say that you allow for individual opportunity if everybody's bonuses is predicated on the company doing something. You can't say we want to let individuals do crazy work and try new things and experiment and fail, but it's all on them and they get the, the win when they win when that's not how you actually bonus them out, when that's not actually how you reward them. So the policy, which by the way is not just HR policies, but in fact are comp, comp policies, uh, benefits policies, um, all sorts of different policies all around the company, what you're allowed to do. There's also informal policies, right? Look, I've been I've worked for a number of different companies. I'm not going to point to any individual one because I've seen this multiple times, multiple times. So if, if you know me as a professional, as, as, as a colleague, I'm not talking about our boss necessarily or our, our company necessarily. There's very rarely, only in certain companies, do they identify what the expectation is around travel spending, right? Now, Many companies offer, okay, dinner is this much money and lunch is this much money, or maybe you get a per diem, maybe, maybe. I don't, you don't see per diems very often. Uh, and that per diem is always structured against how many receipts you happen to have. So you can't say, I went out for four days, therefore I get my per diem times four. That, I don't know of that, I don't know of anybody who does that still. Uh, they used to do it a long time ago, traveling salesmen especially. Uh, right now it's about, hey, submit your receipts and we'll, pay, we'll reimburse you for what you spent. But it's fuzzy what counts right? Yeah, they say you'll pay for dinner. Yeah, they'll pay for breakfast. Yeah, they'll pay for lunch. Do they pay for coffee? If you go to Starbucks, will they pay for coffee? And if you're not a manager and you don't have that kind of mojo or juice within the company to, where the, the, the accountant kind of goes, well, they're a managing director or well, they're a VP or well, they're a whatever, I'm going to let that stuff slide. Where if it's not defined 
people go crazy sometimes and it's poorly set up. There's the informal policy of, hey, at this kind of company, we're super cheap. We don't spend any money when we travel. No, we will not pick up... Um, we won't pay for the extra money for you to move your your plane seat on a flight. We will never pay, pay for business class unless you're a, the president of the company. Um, we will never upgrade your hotel. We will never pay for room service, or you know, we will never you know, the things that are expensive that just kind of happen. Or hey, if you have to buy your own toenail clippers on the road, no, we will not pay for that. You should have planned to bring some. Some companies are like that, and some companies are, look, if you had to pay for it, you had to pay for it. But there's no line in the manual that says that's the rule because everybody knows if you wrote that rule down, you'd either be seen as a cheapskate or everybody would take advantage of, at least that's a presumption. So there are informal policies that inform what that brand is. You can't say that you're very flexible and, 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 and um you know, flexible in your working culture if there are 17,000 hoops you have to jump through to get a reimbursement on something relatively small. If you're not allowed to buy a piece, a tiny piece of software for your computer, if you're not given a credit card, if you're not, you know, able to kind of reimburse yourself for certain things, that is informal policies which dictate and shape what your brand can and can't be, right? I mean, that, that doesn't even get into the idea of, you know, hey, we're all about equality and we respect the individual. By the way, the rules are different from frontline sales staff as they are for VPs, though to be fair, I don't know a company in which that's not the case. Every company, the ladder is kind of different where your level on the ladder dictates how much flexibility and, and leeway you get in making some of those decisions and then the financial decisions and the reimbursement decisions, right? So the options dictate what you're allowed to say about your brand. We usually don't consider those, right? That's, that's, that's not something we care about. We want to say that we care about being inclusive. We want to point to our DNI team. We want to talk about our pride float, but... Are the policies really aligned to that? Do they really support that? Are people able to celebrate Kwanzaa, for example? Are people able to celebrate, and, and I don't know enough about the Jewish holidays, but Jewish holidays, you know, Sukkot is, a, is one. And I mean, I don't know much about Jewish holidays. I don't have enough Jewish friends, apparently. Or at least I don't have Jewish friends to celebrate holidays. <laughs> Maybe that's the case. Um, you know, and, but everybody's different. And I don't know enough Muslims to say, okay, what are your high holidays? And do we structure... Um, do we structure our holiday and, 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 and vacation plans around that to support that? Or does everybody have to take Christmas to New Year's off, whether or not they're into that sort of thing? These are the policies, informal or not, that dictate what your employer brand can be. And the last one is my favorite for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it's interesting and complicated and it's options. Now, when I say options, I think I got to spell that out because I don't think we've all come to grips with this idea yet. And that's not because I'm the smartest person in the room here, but I am the only person in the room right now, so maybe I am. But that also means I'm the dumbest. So there you go. But the idea that what your brand is allowed to say, what your brand looks like is a function of its competition options. Meaning, if I'm running a law firm and I'm hiring a lawyer and I say we have great work-life balance, I might mean that we only work 60-hour work weeks. Because in lawyer town, if you're trying to make partner, that's a pretty chill week, right? That's just the expectation. Your options, if you're, if you're a lawyer and you're looking for work for law, big law firms, your options are other law firms. And you're allowed to measure and project what your brand is relative to those other options. Now, that gets really complicated 
When you're not talking about lawyers, or you're not talking about lawyers specifically looking at big law firms, let's talk about lawyers in general who could work for almost anyone, right? You could work for big companies, you could work for media-sized companies, you could work for agencies, you could work for law firms, you could work for a hospitals and banks and all sorts of different companies. Everybody needs lawyers, apparently. So when you say amazing work-life balance, but you're talking about working in a bank, you're probably not talking about 60-hour work weeks. So suddenly the options shift how your brand is being perceived. You can't make certain claims based on your options or put more accurately, your claims are seen through the lens of the options available to the candidate. Now for a lot of jobs, the options are pretty simple. The, uh, the jobs are very industry specific, right? If you're an electrician, you're not going to work at Facebook, really, right? There's not too many electricians. If there are, there are a handful, maybe, I guess. Uh, but mostly you work for electrical companies. You work for contractors. You are your own contractor, right? You work on commercial places. You work on residential places, whatever. But you work for the similar kind of companies. And all those companies are fairly similar. There's not one radically different company. Uh, they're all kind of the same in the same way that banks are kind of all kind of the same. And the big four accounting consulting companies are all kind of the same. And, you know, the, the big e-com companies are all kind of the same, sort of. There is a level of, hey, within our industry, there is a norm and most companies adhere to that norm or within, you know, some wiggle room, right? Within, let's call it plus or minus 10%. Um, you know, there's always one that's the super successful one that can have better perks or maybe that has higher salary or can kind of throw around some money or throw around some different opportunities. But for the most part, most companies are within that mean, within that, you know, that relative median of, of, of average, right? It's, it's a, the standard deviation is super, super tight. And that is the most stats, stats I know, sorry. Um, and maybe that's more stats than any person really needs to know. So your options are complicated, especially with you're going to hire people from multiple industries for multiple roles. If you hire salespeople and a lawyer and an HR person and a developer, that's pretty standard, you know, set of people you need for a lot of companies. They have very different sets of options. And your brand has to reflect those, which is where microculture gets really interesting, right? If you're talking to lawyers and you know that their options are other company legal teams and legal agencies or law agencies, your options are a certain way. But if you're talking about developers, some of whom might work for a nonprofit, some of whom may, may start their own startup, some of whom move to the Valley or Austin or one of the other various Silicon whatevers and decide to, to join a big massive company to, to make as much money as they can and grab as many options as they can. Those options across the board are very broad, right? How do you compete with a start your own startup? Because you can't offer more authority and responsibility than someone saying, I've started my own startup. You can offer more stability, but is stability something that you can offer relative to a massive Google or Facebook or Amazon? Can you? And that's where your options get complicated. So every time you look at your employer brand and you got to be specific about the team or the role or what have you, you look at and say, what are the options of this person? What other places could this person reasonably expect to work? And what would they find as a salary there, as a benefits package there, as a culture there, as a leadership there? Look, I just went through culture, leadership, policies, and options. Look at that. They're all kind of all wrapped up within options because the options for each team are different. The culture, leadership, and policy, policy options are different each time. Isn't that cool? I don't know. I think it's cool. So now that you know that, if you see the four drivers, now you can kind of say, okay, 
we're having a black swan moment. We're having a once in a lifetime, once in a generation kind of moment when all this stuff is, the table's being flipped and what are we gonna do about that? You need to ask yourself those four buckets. How are we responding? How are these four buckets being impacted by the change of the pandemic You know, being pushed on you? Your leadership, as we talked about, is probably the thing that changes the most obviously, especially if you've already had your CEO step forward and make a video or write an email or do a blog post or write an article, right? The leader's already kind of stepped up. Chances are if the leader hasn't stepped up publicly, they've stepped up internally. I know that in companies that, you know, the C the letter from the CEO is the driving strategy and they say, look, this is the direction and this is what we're trying to do. We're all going to take a pay cut or we're going to max, you know, uh, squeeze as many uh, dollars out of our, you know, cutting costs to avoid layoffs or, hey, by the way, we're going to have to change our headcount in order to right size to where we are. The CEO made an internal, very public internal conversation. They've stepped up, whereas CEOs might not want to take those steps. They might have asked some other leader in the company to take that. You know, <laughs> CEOs don't like to talk about layoffs. It's not good for business. It's not good. Well, it's sometimes good for their stock price, depending. Um, but nobody wants to be the bad guy. And so consequently, you sometimes leave that to other teams. Nobody wants to talk about strategy. Sometimes you leave that to other spaces. Um, you know, the leader has stepped up in some way. So you have to say, okay, how have they stepped up? In what way have they stepped up? And what way could they step up? How do we leverage this opportunity to put our, our leader out there to drive our brand? How has our culture changed? Now that we're all no longer in the same room, how do we define our culture? How do we understand our culture? How do we express our culture to the world if we're still hiring? Because that's, let's be fair, even if you're not hiring, you still need to manage your employer brand because one day you're coming back and you don't want to be last in line. You don't want to be the one who said, I'm going to put the car in the garage and let it sit for a year until everything's all hunky-dory and then we'll bring the car back out of the garage because by the way, you're way behind and then you got to go fix the car. So what is your culture now that all it's all changed? And again, go back to the last week's episode and dive into that. What are your policies? And this is a place where I don't think enough employer branders realize they can make an impact. Now, I'm not saying you can dictate policies. Obviously, you're an employer brand person. You have no power whatsoever, <laughs> except over your team. And for many of us, that's a one-man wrecking crew or one-woman wrecking crew. So you don't really have much authority. But you are sitting near HR or you're sitting next to HR. Or you can walk over to HR and say, look, make the case. Hey, we want to say our employer brand is predicated on duh, duh, and duh, but our policies make that impossible. Can we start a conversation in which we revisit those policies in light of the chaos and the etch-a-sketch kind of moment we are all facing together? Now, is that going to be easy? Nope. <laughs> it's going to be real hard, but somebody's going to step up and do it. Why not you? Why not you? So step up and do it. And then again, look at the options. If you are in the hospitality industry and you're saying, oh God, our employer brand is suffering, yeah, calm down because everybody's is, right? Your options generally, the, the tide is going out for everybody. If you're in oil and gas, it's been a chaotic month on a lot of levels. If you're having problems, it's because everybody's having problems, but that may be turning around soon. It's hard to say. How much you've invested in what kind of technology is moving forward will dictate what kind of options you have. If you're in the oil and gas or energy business and you started to pivot over to non-fossil fuels, you've got a pretty good opportunity to move things forward, but your options, your competition will start to shift. You won't be focused on other massive energy companies. You'll be focused on other companies that are focused on quote unquote alternative sources of energy, right? If you're in the pharma space, 
chances are you're hiring like crazy. You may have shifted your hiring around. Maybe you said, okay, these teams we're gonna let kind of chill for a while, but these other teams we've got to go crazy on. There's a lot of money, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of movement happening in that space, so consequently your options have to shift. If everybody's getting more chaotic, suddenly the competition gets more crazy. Now you can't kind of say, yeah, our employer brand's good enough. In order to compete, your employer brand has to be strong. Okay, now that you know your options, now you have the tools, now you have the leverage, go and make those changes. So those are the four drivers of employer brand. And again, employer brand is such a complicated thing. No matter where you stand, whatever perspective you look at it, you can see different things. But that might be a good way to kind of think about all the changes you're facing right now. And if you feel overwhelmed, I hear you. I'm with you. I get you. I feel you. And take a breath, take, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of something stronger. I'm not going to tell. And let's buckle down and let's go do it. Thanks so much for listening. If you have ideas for next episodes, I'm always, 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 always uh, up for listening to your ideas. Just go ahead and ping me on Twitter. Go find me. You know how to find me. I'm easy. LinkedIn, Twitter, all the different places. So I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you all next week. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just say hello or let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.